When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, we're recording this on Sunday evening, so I'm aware uh, that you must be very happy. Um, So I'm just going to read from a prepared statement emailed to me (laughs) by producer Guy this afternoon. It says, congratulations on your FA Cup win against Liverpool. I hope you are happy. Open brackets. Try not to make it sound like a hostage video. Close bracket. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very very pleased for you, Kieran. You're You're a better man than I am because... If Palace had beaten Liverpool in the FA Cup this afternoon, Ali would be hosting this pod. <laughs> I'd be phoning it in from the Paulsons. <laughs> so well done, you must. Yeah, I mean, last minute goal. You can't, you can't, you can't get that. I think you just about deserved it in the end as well, didn't you? I, I, yeah, it was. It, it wasn't a great match. No. Um, there are two sides that are not very good at defending, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's still a victory against Liverpool. Yeah, we, we've, we've scored eight goals against them this season. Yeah. It's ludicrous. You're their bogey team. I know. Well, luckily, yeah. um, <coughs> Wrexham will be the first game on match of the day, so you'll have to stay out late to watch it. So, <laughs> small victories, Kieran. Small victories. Yeah, it's it's questions day, Kieran. We have some very good questions today, but I, I don't think any of them could be described as precise. So with this, we're on three pages. Oh, yeah, we are. So there's some uh, attention span needed, and there's also a couple of questions which are things we've covered before, but I'm happy to cover them again because they're they're topical or pertinent. And uh, the first one, Kieran, comes from Dan Ockton, and Dan says he is a Nottingham Forest supporter, and points out, as we know, that the, our owner also owns Olympiacos, and we've seen a number of transfers between the two clubs over the years. Are there any rules to govern? The prices agreed between clubs like these to ensure fair play. For example, could Forest sell Olympiacos, an unwanted player, for ten million over the market value to help balance the books? Um, the simple answer is that, as we've recently seen in an Italian court case, mm. um, football transfers are uh, trophy assets. They're unique transfers of of registration and therefore the the courts don't seem to think that they can ascribe a value to them and I think if we take a look at history it it does appear that uh, organizations which are part of an MCO which stands for multi-club ownership model um, do uh, if they would so wish uh, appear to be in a position to um, game the system now we're not going to make any accusations because because we're not that type of show but let, let's just take a look at a couple of examples. Um, first of all, we've got the, the City Football Group. Um, and uh, we've, we've got the case of Aaron Moy. Now, Aaron Moy, who, who in fact scored today for, for Celtic. Um, he, he was originally uh, at Melbourne City, part of the City Football Group. And he was transferred to Manchester City um, and then immediately put out on loan 
to Huddersfield Town. He was so immediately put out on loan to Huddersfield Town that I cannot find a photograph of Aaron Moy wearing a Manchester City football shirt. Wow. Um, so Manchester City got a loan fee. Uh, Huddersfield Town were promoted at the end of that season to the Premier League. And then they, they bought Aaron Moy for a fee of estimated to be around about £10 million. So Manchester City bought the player from Melbourne City for zero, it would appear. Um, and made a £10 million profit on a player who not only never played for them, but has never even been seen in Manchester wearing a Manchester City shirt. Um, so that that does raise eyebrows. Um, there was the uh, Frank Lampard uh, transfer, which, again, he went from Chelsea to New York City, but then who loaned them to Manchester City. Um, that I think that caused a few, few questions. Um, if we take a look at another multi-club ownership model, we've got the uh, legendary one of Watford and Udinese, um, of which there have been many, many transfers, the most recent of which, which caused the most eyebrows, I think, to be raised, was um, Watford uh, sold at the start of the season Hassan Kamara to Udinese. Um, Now, they say that the clubs are not a multi-club ownership model. They just happen to be owned by people with the same surname who were related to each other. Um, but in terms of this particular deal, this this was done at the start of the season, at the start of the season. Um, Watford transferred Hassan Kamara to Udinese for £16 million, which made a decent profit, which contributed towards financial fair play. And then Watford got a very good deal. They, they loaned a player called Hassan Kamara to themselves for the rest of the season. Ooh. So they've got a £16 million profit, it would appear, and um, they've still got the player. So in respect of Dan's question, um, could it potentially give an advantage? And yeah, we're not, we're not saying that those deals are illegal. We're not, and they don't appear to be in breach of anything. Um, but it does certainly uh, give an advantage should people want to be unscrupulous. And there's no evidence of any... Uh, misdemeanors uh, historically, but uh, it's it's strange. You you say we're not that type of show, Kieran, but it's not five days since you accused a sovereign state of being the money laundering capital of Europe. <laughs> so we are occasionally yeah. that sort of show, Kieran, where we, where we 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 it's like slate of hand. We look one way and point the other way. So people know what we're talking about. We've got a strange situation at Palace where we've got one of the owners of the club is, is trying to start his own multi-club ownership when he doesn't actually own the entirety of Crystal Palace, which is really odd, which we've talked about. And I'm, I'm afraid the way things are shaping up, we may be talking about again. Our, our second question mm. comes from Martin Avery, Kieran. And Martin Avery asks a sort of question I really like, because basically what Martin is saying, I think I've heard this from somewhere, possibly yes. a bloke in a pub. I'd like confirmation, which is pretty much how our relationship works on a weekly basis, Kieran. But <laughs> Martin Avery's question is this. When Aston Villa bought the highly rated teenager Rory Wilson in the summer, I read an article uh-huh, that said the Scottish youth system has slightly different rules to FIFA's. That meant Villa could sign him and then pay a token development fee that a FIFA committee deems appropriate. My question is, is that right about the Scottish youth system being different? And if so, how quickly can the Scottish FA change its rules to protect its young talent from being hoovered up by English teams on the cheap? Right. Um, under FIFA rules, which um, 
are sort of are for all international transfers. Um, if a player has uh, been developed by a club, then then compensation is required. And it, also, if should Aston Villa sell this player, up to five percent of the fee would go to any clubs who had been involved in his development prior to to the date of the transfer. So so there are complications. Um, national associations are supposed by FIFA to divide all of their clubs effectively into four categories in, in terms of academy development. And a bit like we have domestically here in England with the Elite Player Performance Plan, then then there's sort of a, a, a graded system. So I, I don't think it gets round the FIFA rules because just because one country has um, a set of rules, it doesn't mean that, you know, if, if heaven is Scotland, it doesn't mean that England has to apply them. But I think, I think there's a much broader issue here um, is that speaking to some people at Scottish clubs, they say what's really hit them hard has been Brexit because ah. English clubs cannot recruit players at the age of 16 and 17 now from Europe because the, the, uh, you know, the UK is no longer part of the European Union. And therefore, um, and going back to what we've previously been saying about MCOs, uh, the reason why MCOs have become increasingly popular with English club owners is that if you've got a really promising French player who you want to sign at the age of 16, what you do is you get your Belgian club, which is part of the MCO, to sign him and then hold on to him until they're 18. And then you can transfer them to the English club. So that's a broader issue. But... um, because uh, you know the UK has has its own sort of broadly domestic uh, rules, um, if you find a really promising player in Scotland at the age of sixteen or seventeen, they can be transferred to an English club. So therefore, what we are seeing is that English clubs are scouting the Scottish system because they can no longer scout in France and Belgium and Spain and, and pick up players at a younger age. Um, so, so this is a, you know, it's, it's, it's a classic you know, unintended consequence. I'm, you know, I'm sure, you know, regardless of one's beliefs uh, in terms of the merits of Brexit, nobody really foresaw this. Um, but it does mean that there's a potential talent drain from Scotland to England at, at a young age. And I think it could be argued that Scottish clubs will suffer as a result because the level of compensation that you get is effectively set by FIFA and UEFA um, and it's it's pretty insignificant um, so yeah that's that's my take on it I, I, I may be wrong of course um, but uh, it, it does appear that I can understand Martin's concern uh, you know, in respect of this because you know Rory Wilson does look uh, you know from from you know, doing a Bit, bit of quick Wikipediaing and YouTubing, and so yeah, you know, he, he looks a real talent, and, and you can understand the frustration of of Scottish football fans. No, that's interesting. Uh, as, as Northern Ireland as well, I presume same rules apply. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Oh, okay. Um, now this next question, Kieran, comes from James Lewis, and it is a subject that we have spoken about. I'm going to ask the question first, mm-hmm. and then discuss the reasons why I'm very happy to talk about it again. James Lewis says. My question is around the rule of points deductions for clubs that go into administration. Almost always, this happens through the poor management of an owner, not the fans. However, when it happens, the bad owner disappears, and it's the fans who bear the pain of the points deduction, leading to relegation, which often makes the finances even more challenging. So as I see it, the fans get punished for no wrongdoing on their part. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on whether there is any other way to manage this situation without points deductions. And we'd love to get the thoughts of the EFL and the National League and the Premier League as it happens. Now, mm. we spoke about this only last week, Kieran, with the suspended uh, points deduction for Wigan. And we spoke about yep. exactly this situation and it being unfair of the fans and possibly the people who work at the club who could lose their jobs, who are normally fans. Um, the reason I'm happy to talk about it again is, is because this is one of our top five discussion points. It's up there with amortisation, ethical kits, how Chelsea can avoid FFP at the moment. <laughs> it's one of those things that fans talk about. Is there another way of punishing owners that doesn't punish fans? And without actually financially punishing the owners, we, we haven't really found one, have we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know we we both have a preference for what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch, and what happens in the boardroom stays in the boardroom. Would be my my broad summary. Um, I, I think there is a case for saying that um, should somebody acquire a football club, they should have to put down um, a bond. Yeah. Uh, you know, if uh, you know, if if I if if I rent. Uh, a property for a couple of weeks or yeah, if, if I rent a property or you know, I take out a short lease or whatever it is, normally you've got to put down a month's deposit or, or something similar um, with the landlord as, as effectively a surety, you know, uh, an indication of that you will conduct yourself in an appropriate manner. So why can this not be the same in respect to football? If, if you want the good things which go with owning a football club, you know, the kudos, the adrenaline, the, the ability to say, I own this football club, um, then putting down uh, an, an amount of money to be, you know, how much is that can be determined by, ideally an independent regulator, in my opinion. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it would, A, it, it would discourage the uh, the tyre kickers, the, the ne'er-do-wells, the scumbags, um, because they know that there could be some financial consequences uh, should they miss it. Should they be involved in misdemeanors? Uh, and B, it will provide sort of a buffer, a, a bit of a protection zone for clubs themselves. Um, and that would mean that, uh, that there would be you know, no repercussions as far as what was happening uh, in terms of team performance. But my only reservation with regards to this is that sometimes we are seeing clubs going into administration due to owners sanctioning um, an unsustainable overspend. Now, if if you go shooting up the table because the owner is effectively you know, paying wages which they can't afford to pay and they're, and they're, and they're avoiding paying PAYE and they're avoiding paying everybody else, um, you could say that the club has gained points as a result of the overspend. And therefore, if it has gained points, then a points deduction, um, A, has a degree of merit, but also um, the threat of a points deduction could be seen to act as a deterrent uh, to to prevent people from you know, considering going into administration. Yeah, because it's now it's an automatic fifteen point penalty. Yeah. Um, people know the sanction, and, and therefore you know, it, the idea is they should think twice before uh, behaving in, a, in an untoward manner. I, I suppose the other argument and I'm reluctant to say this in case it sounds like I'm endorsing it. I'm not. It's just that we always try and see as many sides of the issues as we can. If if administration is a better option than liquidation, for example, mm-hmm. if if it's the only way 
of actually saving the club short term and possibly long term, then perhaps you could argue that a points deduction is a small and hopefully temporary price to pay for that. But I'm really, really playing devil's advocate there, Kieran, just, you know, because it's, it's proven impossible. We have good relationships with people in football, but this is one of those subjects that they're very reluctant to put their head above the parapet and, and, and talk to us. And the trouble is, of course, now changing it is going to be very difficult because all those clubs who have that, if you suddenly change the system and the punishment isn't points deduction, the, the EFL, the Premier League, the National League, know that they're opening themselves up to legal mm-hmm. action from those clubs that have suffered from points deductions in the past. Yes, yes, it, it's... Uh... It, it it is um it's very messy uh you know and you know we we clearly are looking at the issues of, of in respect of derby county uh, who went into administration they were relegated um but they're having a great season in league 1 you know they they're, they're averaging 27 28000 yeah. in league 1 yeah, yeah. which which is which is an incredible achievement um it, it's not nice in it's it's never nice to be relegated I still feel as mainly as a football fan, regardless of where you finished the previous season, as soon as the fixtures are announced, in, 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 even if you're in a division below, and let's face it, you know, our, our old man, look, I've, I've been watching Brighton for more than 50 years. I've seen plenty of relegations. Yeah. And yeah, you're you're upset when it happens, but then you're going, oh, right, I, I've not been to Morecambe before. I've, I've not been to Hartlepool before. And yeah, as as an away fan as well as a home fan, your your, your mentality is well, it's 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 a new place, you know, mix of new people, uh, away trips are, to new places are always amazing. Um, so it, it's not as bad as as people make out uh, should when clubs go down. <coughs> Excuse me, Kit. That's a that was a subconscious cough of disbelief there, Kit. Because I'm never entirely sure I agree with you on that one because uh, it would. Uh, like you, I've seen plenty of relegations, and it's normally around about January of the following season I, I come to terms with it. Because, uh, as you know, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Uh, or, for, or forgive. <laughs> as Mark Lamar always says. Now, Kieran, I want you to be... Um, I, I'm channeling my inner producer guy here, Kieran. Yes, OK. Uh, yes. For this next question, I want you to be very careful. You know, mm. you know, occasionally when we do live gigs, sometimes after the gig, you can be... You can be a little indiscreet, Kieran. You can say things that a lawyer probably wouldn't want you to say. That even every now and again, I go a tiny bit pale and and, <laughs> and and walk away from the conversation thinking, well, if I didn't hear it, I can't go to prison either. Um, but Sam Paramore has this question. And Sam mm. says, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday fan, so naturally I listen to the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is a ringing endorsement. I might, we'll put that on the next live poster. Uh, Sam says, I don't know how much truth is in this, which is one of the reasons I want you to be careful, Kieran. But my family tells me that Dave Richards took money out of Wednesday in the 90s. He then ended up chairman of the Premier League and got a knighthood. But my family tells me he ruined my beloved Wednesday. Is this really the case? Did he start the downward spiral we have suffered for 22 years? Um, I, I think to hold one person to account for the... Uh, the, the lack of Sheffield Wednesday in the Premier League is is perhaps um, a, a wee bit harsh. Um, I, I will tell you something about Sheffield Wednesday at the end of the show. 
Um, but it doesn't involve Dave Richards. Um, Now, I I have been through uh, Sheffield Wednesday's accounts in the 90s, and I can see no evidence of related party transactions, loans to directors, or even directors remuneration. So um, whilst uh, I I think uh, Sir Dave Richards is, um, some people might refer to him as a character um, (laughs) after he accused uh, both FIFA and yeah. UEFA of stealing football because, and I quote, we invented it and they stole it. Yeah. That fifty years later, yeah. so he, he does. He's, he's a man of uh, strong convictions, which is unusual, of course, in a Yorkshireman. Um, <laughs> but um, there is there is no evidence that I have found of any untoward behaviour um, in respect of uh, his period of stewardship, and presumably um, the other. Uh, the other owners of Premier League football clubs must have had a degree of confidence in him to to make to you know, to appoint him as the the Premier League chairman. Mm. So that's that's position. Could it be argued that there was poor cost control at Sheffield Wednesday in the nineties, which meant that uh, it, when they were relegated, they were in a weak position to try to return to the Premier League. Um, that that's that's a separate issue, you know, and and how much of that you have you can put down to one person uh, again again is is open to debate. You know, if, if you're not at the board meetings and 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 there's nothing minuted um, in the public domain, then it's then it's difficult to ascribe everything to one person. Yeah, you're on your own. That's a very diplomatic answer. It's, it? it's very diplomatic, here and there. I, I, I'm racing on in case you take a deep breath and launch into part yeah. B. Um, uh, you're also on your own when it comes to making comments about Yorkshire, Kieran. Um, I'm saying nothing. Uh, not after I suggested that Sheffield was in the northwest last week. I <laughs> <laughs> got some rather geographically out. My favourite was one that went, yeah, from where we're sitting, Croydon's in East Anglia, mate. So, <laughs> which, may, which made me laugh a lot. Um, our next question comes from Steve Lovell, uh, who's unlikely to be the Steve Lovell that about 90 Palace fans scored the winning goal against Wrexham in 84, I think it was, our first away win for 18 months. But Stephen Lovell says, uh, and this is a really interesting question, I think, Kieran, do, mm. do you still have to count a player's wages and amortisation towards FFP if they're not listed in the 25-man squad? You most certainly do, oh, okay. um, which 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 will upset uh, Todd Bowley at Chelsea, yeah. I suspect, given that they appear to have a 112-man squad at present. Um as far as financial fair play is concerned, it is the total wages and the total amortisation of all members of the team, unless they are academy players. Now, if they're an academy player, there won't be any, any amortisation because you won't have signed them as such. Um, but uh, all, all, uh, all senior pros' uh, salaries, along with all of that of backroom staff, um, would be included into the overall financial fair play, profitability and sustainability, financial sustainability, whatever the rules are going to be uh, named these days. Um, And I think that is actually for the benefit of football, because if it wasn't, um, you know, and and, yes, yes, we jest about, I believe Chelsea are trying to sign more players over over the course of the weekend. Um, You could otherwise have a, a, a rather ridiculous scenario where a club does sign 112 players and says, we're going to put 25 of them in their squad and we're going to just p- 
pay the others an absolute fortune for sitting on their asses all day long um, because it would give us such an advantage because we've now got all of the best talent mm. that, uh, that there'll be no competition for us. So uh, I think the rules are there for a reason and, and that reason actually works. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Now, Kieran, our next question comes from Tom Scottney. And I'm going to suggest that Tom is a bit chippy. Now, if you're listening to this, Tom, coming from me, that's a compliment. Because I, I, I admire uh, my personal chippy friend. But Tom says, I have a question regarding loan deals. As a fan of a inverted commas mid to upper level League One team, that's a big sign of chippiness there, putting that into inverted commas. We've had a lot of young kids and second stringers from the upper echelons of the league pass through over the years. Another sign of chippy, that word second stringers there. Um, to various different levels of success. Whenever there's one player who isn't popular, the grumbling among the fans is that he's only playing because the parent club have inserted a clause into the loan deal, insisting that he plays in every game he's available for. Is this really a thing? It seems unbelievable to me that regardless of how promising a youngster to another club at a high level might be, that a manager would tie themselves and their team plans to pay, playing him in advance. Uh, this is uh, this is textbook no moon landing grassy knoll type <laughs> conspiracy theories. Sorry, um, sorry, Tom. <laughs> which, which which I still love. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think it's, um, with regards to players on are going online, um, it would be completely unreasonable to expect the first team coach to have an obligation yeah. to pay a to play a player from another club if their player is not in form, is not pulling their weight in training. Can, can you see all of the potential issues arising here? And then there's there's a clause in the contract. What, however, you might see is, uh, so it's not compulsory this, but what you might see is a tapered loan deal in which, and I, and I am aware of these, if the player plays on average 75 minutes plus per game, the parent club, who's often will be a Premier League club. Now, what's the Premier League club trying to do? They want this player to get minutes. So the the the, the parent club will say, if if that player plays on average at least seventy five minutes in a game, we will pay ninety percent of his wages. If it's between sixty and seventy five minutes, we will only pay seventy five percent of the wages. And if it's forty five to sixty, we will only pay half the wages. So. What the parent company is doing is say, you know, we are willing to cover a significant proportion of our employees' wages whilst on loan at the at the League One club. But in return, you know, we are hoping that the player is going to get access to plenty of football. And if they don't, then 
you know, why should we cover all the wages? Because you're not really keeping your side of the bargain. So it does it does give the manager more leeway. Now, could this result in the chairman stroke finance director calling the manager into the office and saying, um, he's only averaged 72 minutes uh, over the course of the, uh, the first six weeks. Um, it's going to cost us this much unless you bet it up to 75. We'd really like it if the player did play, you know, say the full game for the next two matches. If, if, if he's having a shocker, then fine. So th- there could be soft pressure put on a manager. Yeah, and, and managers have ridiculous amounts of, of pressure put on them already, we know, um, to, to try to encourage them to pay a little bit more. But I, I don't think that there's anything such as a, a, a definitive clause. Um, and I don't think that the football authorities would allow it either. Mm. I'm going to be very interested in your answer to this next question, Kieran. And the question comes from Lawrence White. And I'm particularly interested because I support a team, Palace, who over the years have prided themselves on bringing in young players, often at the cost, it seems, of spending a lot of money on more experienced players. There's a a table we saw recently that indicates we're the lowest spending team on transfers in the last five years in the Premier League. But right back from when I first started supporting them, we're bringing people like Vince Allaire and Jerry Murphy. Now we've got you know, Aaron Wambasaka, who came through Tariq Mitchell. And so this is a debate Palace fans have a lot. And Lawrence White's question is this. I often hear when people are talking about the sale of academy players, language is used like pure profit or, well, he didn't cost us anything, when clearly the cost is in even running an academy. And Palace just spent several billions on uh, upgrading theirs to become a Cat 1, for example. Given how few players really develop to a first-team standard, at least in the Premier League, the total cost per saleable player can't be inconsiderable. And whilst that pure profit comment might be true in terms of FFP, I'm fairly sure that that's not how many of them are using it. Can you say what the cost really is of generating a first-team player through an academy and is this a figure clubs would know and maintain data on? And would that influence any decision-making? I, I suspect clubs are doing increasing amounts of data analysis um, with regards to, is it worthwhile our continued investment in having a category one, two or three yeah. um, academy? So, so I, I think there will be some work done internally. Um, in, in respect of Lawrence's comments, that can can we give a definitive cost? I, I don't think that is possible. Um, part of the reason for that is um, trying to work out what you include in cost. So, if you've got an academy who you know, are, are at a club which has amazing training facilities, and those training facilities cost a hundred million pounds, and they're going to last twenty years or whatever it could be. Do you allocate a proportion of those training facilities to the academy, or do you say that ultimately, in the main, that they're used for the first team, and therefore um, we should allocate it to all of all of the first team? And and there's there's lots, you know, and and if there's one rule which is going to help you on FFP, I can assure you, clubs will use that rule. Um, also, in in respect of of Cat One, Cat Two, um, from the people that I have spoken to. Um, category two, you're normally looking at a minimum, minimum of one and a half mil per year to maintain that. Now, when it comes to category one, um, I think probably the lowest amount you could get away with would be five million. Yeah. Um, and uh, there are many clubs that are doing double or treble that. And, and also, 
and I can put my hand on my heart here. I have spoken to an academy coach. He says, we've got a Cat 1 academy. And for the purposes of FFP, and um, at the costs of running the academy are £6 million a year. But I can assure you that it's closer to one and a half. Right. And you know, we, it's quite often it's the academy coaches, many of whom are completely dedicated to their craft. You know, they're the ones that are buying spare cones. Those are the ones, they're the ones that are actually buying the bibs and getting a few extra balls because the what is supposed to go through to the academy is actually going through to the first team. And yeah, I, I can't clearly can't name the club and I won't name the club. Um and there are advantages because, of course, your academy costs don't count for FFP um, uh, as well. So so I, I can't give you a definitive cost, Lawrence, but I can assure you that clubs, um, especially up you know, at, at the level where they are monitoring every single penny, do take a, a very forensic approach to the value that they get out of their academy, and, and we mentioned Chelsea a wee bit earlier. Well, you know, last year Chelsea sold uh, to Maury and Abraham for a combined fee of around about seventy million. There's talk about them selling Conor Gallagher again for thirty to forty million. Please, yeah, God. Anthony Gordon. Please, God, Kieran. Please, he's God. Please, God. Please, God. They sell Conor Gallagher. <laughs> yes. If you're, if you're um, listening, Potter, you don't want him. He's terrible. Sell him. <laughs> uh, Anthony Gordon yeah. has just gone from uh, Everton to, to Newcastle yeah. for 45. So to, to, you, you get a huge return on your investment, A, if you sell them, or B, what we sometimes refer to you refer to as opportunity cost. If the player's that good and breaks into the first team, it means that you don't have to go and spend 70, 80 million. You, know, you, you think about you know, how much money have Spurs signed because of Harry Kane, how much Manchester United has saved by having Marcus Rashford you know, banging in goals you know, nonstop this season, Phil Foden, Lionel Messi at Barcelona. So you, you only need to unearth a gem, shall we say, once every four to five years at the Premier League level and academies effectively more than pay for themselves. Yeah. Just as a sideline, by the way, for any Palace fans listening to this, don't don't worry about our lack of transfer activity. Semenya might have gone to Bournemouth. That apparently we are getting Mikel Antonio, so that would be a successful window in its own right. I suppose, Kieran, there's also a saving in wages, isn't it? If if Palace, for example, put Tyrick Mitchell into the first team at the age of 19 at left-back, um, rather than buying Luke Shaw, then my guess is that Tyrick Mitchell would be on a lot less money weekly than Luke Shaw would be. And again, rumours are that we'll be getting Aaron Wambasaka back in the summer. He's going to be getting paid a lot more in wages than he would have been when he first broke through into our first team, isn't he? Yes, I think there's always a a legacy issue, and, and sometimes when you talk to players who have come through the academy route, um, that that can cause a bit of resentment because they feel that you know they 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 signed for their local club, and then as you rightly say, there are other players coming into the first team on more lucrative contracts and you're saying well hold on you know, you, you've paid a transfer fee for that other player and you're paying him better but wages than myself and I'm contributing as much if not more to the success of of the team as a whole so yeah I've, I'm certainly I've certainly seen it evidenced um and what tends to happen is you know there are there are good agents there are bad agents and there's 
Moises Caicedo's agent, um, who who within five days of uh, uh, getting getting his services put put uh, actually actually managed to sell him, it would appear to Arsenal, uh, and doing Brighton a favour in the in the meantime. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I, I absolutely, and this, this uh, but uh, you know this is where agents come in and they protect the player that they say you know otherwise the player's been ripped off, and, and you know if if you are. 18 or 19 and you're you're still a bit in awe because it's it's your club you've been there since the age of 7 or 8 whatever it's going to be um you you can be taken advantage of so you know uh, the the idea and I've defended agents and we've we've interviewed agents the idea of agents yeah. being the big bad wolves of football is not always the case the vast majority of them look after the interests of their clients yeah um I was going to say this is our final question Kieran but it's not because uh somehow one has sneaked into the list of patrons uh, coming up, it's a really interesting question as well. But I, I imagine, Kieran, when you know, producer guy sends these questions through to us. Uh, hopefully, normally the day before, every now and again, it's ten minutes before. Uh, and there's a mild kick bollock scramble, or rather, he always sends you the day before. He, he, he knows that I won't look until ten minutes before. Let's let's be fair to producer guy. But I, I think, Kieran, a probably a small tear of joy would have just trickled out of the corner of your eye when you saw this question because. <laughs> This has got your name written all over it. This has got, this has got the upper eyebrow from the Baroness written all over it when she says, "Why are you up till three o'clock in the morning?" And you go, "Because I've had a really good question, and it involves a new spreadsheet." Um, and it comes from Paul Edwards. This question, and it's a great question, Paul. Thank you. Paul says, "Last season there were times when big clubs, in inverted commas, Newcastle, Leeds, and Everton, were at risk of being relegated. Um, and this year's relegation." Battle looks closer than ever, Kieran, so it's still mm. a, an issue. As they didn't, though, is it possible to say if the Premier League is bigger this season in terms of the playing clubs? Basically, does Kieran have a spreadsheet <laughs> that shows the 20 clubs that would make up the biggest Premier League possible? It would be interesting to hear who would have to go and who should join to make the Optimum League. I, I don't know what metric you would use, Kieran, presumably you know, turnover, but it's I, I'm, I'm really fascinated to see this question. I think maybe this is something we could probably uh, tweet as well tomorrow. What, what would be the biggest Premier League? Yes, uh, um, I, I think the way to do this is that if you do it on a historic basis, it becomes self-fulfilling. Um, so I, I think we, we you, you need to look at metrics. I think the metric which I would probably use would be match day or a commercial of match day and commercial income right. because... Uh, if you are a club such as Leeds, for example, Leeds always had the highest commercial income in the championship for the 16 years that they were they were there because they have, uh, you know, as well as a, you know, a big domestic fan base, they have an international fan base as well. Um, so, on the on the basis of the adjustments that I would make to to uh, increase the size of the Premier League, um, I would. Get rid of, and I won't clearly. Um, Bournemouth, Fulham, Brentford, Palace, yeah. and Brighton. Right, um, and and I think you know there's there's a few clubs with with which don't have great histories um, in, in terms of that, and I would replace them with Sunderland, Sheffield United, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, and perhaps Middlesbrough. Um, in terms of the ability to 
uh, increase the the size and also what you might say create regional hubs right. um, of accelerated interest. So you know if if you I remember when we used to have Sunderland, Newcastle, and Middlesbrough in the Premier League and having that northeast hub, and, and I'm confidently saying northeast <laughs> um, for for once <laughs> until I'm corrected. Um, so uh, yeah, that that's that's the position would it be? But yeah, that 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 is harsh on on those clubs because. I think what Brentford have done is absolutely sensational. Yeah. Um, and I'm not blowing smoke up Palace's ass. You know, Palace have, have not only got to the Premier League, they've stayed there for a decade with a relatively small ground, which doesn't generate a lot of matchday income. Mm-hmm. And they've done that through and, and through having, you, you mentioned that you've had a category two academy during the vast majority of the period. That's because they have interacted with, with the local area and very, very efficiently. And some of those things you 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 are it is very difficult to put a financial value on but it clearly does have a value in terms of the club's ability to to maintain a level of success in the premier league but um that that's the approach that i i did take paul um so i i went down sort of the the match day income um and also what i considered to be sort of the potential for um commercial appeal uh you know and yeah, we could be having this conversation in in five years' time, and and Wrexham could be there, yeah, for example. Yeah. So yeah, you know, it, it is a movable feast. I think certainly having Forest back in the Premier League, they they if they hadn't been promoted, I would have put them into that list as well as as, as to the big clubs. Yeah, I, I find four out of five of those clubs that you say would be in there. I I, I guessed that. Uh, Middlesbrough, I probably would have been here all day. I, I thought Norwich would be the fifth side, but. I'm, Right. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think there's there's a case for Norwich actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I pro- it's probably me being harsh on on Norwich and perhaps a bit generous to Auburn Middlesbrough. Right. Um, thank you to everyone who's donated to Pod via our Patreon page. That includes Martin Payne, Andrew Phillip, Richard Hunt, Alexander Walton, and in block capitals, Kieran Simmons, who says I went for the price of football ultras option on Patreon. Ah, uh, I'm gonna. Cards on the table here, Kieran. That's an option that's new to me. Uh, but I'm delighted to hear that we do have some ultras. I like to think they all wear black hoods and are bouncing up and down, listening to the pod together every week. Um, but Kieran says, I went for the Price of Football Ultras option on Patreon just to ask a question that has bothered me in the last year. How did Birmingham City manage to get a jersey sponsor on the lower back that is an alcohol company? I've tried every avenue in my power to find the loophole but keep hitting dead ends the sponsorship in question is Saddler's Peaky Blinder right um as far as I can make out Kieran there is no formal banning of alcohol related sponsors really um yeah we we have gambling after all um why the reason why and also if you take a look at uh organizations such as UEFA and FIFA we did have as a as a senior sponsor, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, even yeah. though they weren't allowed to sell any beer. Right. We we had Budweiser. Um, we've got Heineken um, as well. Um, I think it's Heineken who are sponsors of UEFA. And th- there's there's been some local breweries who who have sponsored uh, football clubs. Um, the the reason why that it hasn't tended to find favour. Um, from a Premier League perspective in terms of front of shirt is, is as much to do with there are many geographical reason, uh, regions in which 
having an alcohol sponsor would cause issues uh, in terms of, you know, they are they are effectively non-alcohol consuming countries. And, and therefore, if you're trying to sell you know, the global appeal of the Premier League uh, and you've got front of shirt for you know, XX Brewery and a third of the planet is, is effectively dry, then, then you're not going to get a very good price. Um, so so that's, that, that's as much to do with the reason. So I, I, I don't, you know, if you think about... Um, yeah, we've we've seen Wrexham. Yeah, Wrexham's. Yeah, yeah. I think Wrexham's training kit is sponsored by Aviation Gin. Um, yeah, no. The, if, the, if it is, uh, the the Baroness likes yeah. gin. Uh, Aviation Gin. Well, also, the, uh, the, I was going to say Rex because the stand opposite the cameras today was it's Wrexham Brewery stand, I believe. Mm. So it was, I, you know, Kieran, you really. I was one hundred percent convinced that uh, front of show alcohol sponsors were banned. So I'm I'm really interested to hear that. It, again, it, it, it causes problems in terms of, yeah, of if, if you're if, if you're a club in League One or League Two, you won't be able to sell shirts to kids with a, uh, with a brewery yeah, sponsor of course, on it. Of course. So yeah. you know, then you've got to have if you know, effectively you know, two sets of kits being made, and yeah, you know, it, it does it does create other issues. Um, but I don't I don't actually think it's it's banned per se. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for that uh, question, then, Kieran. Uh, if you'd like to join Martin, Andrew, Richard, Alex, Alanda, Kieran, and the other ultras, uh, make a small monthly contribution to the pod. That, that would be very kind of you. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to Kieran and all the, the patrons. It, it is it is very generous of you. Um, and that's one way of supporting the show. And, and you know, we, we do try to interact with you on social media as well and, and answer questions. And uh, sometimes, I, apologies, I do get a bit chippy <laughs> myself. <laughs> so, and I have to wind it in. I go, oh, well, really? Is that probably a bit too far. Um, but there, there's another way that you can... Uh, you can support the show, and, and, and that's, to, that's to give us a review. Um, it, it helps us in the charts. It helps us with algorithms. It helps us with a bit of credibility with, with guests. And, and we've just been talking about alcohol, which is a vice. So perhaps perhaps you want to say something slightly more virtuous. And I can think of two, no more virtuous people on the planet to potentially present the show than Mother Teresa and Nadim Zawari. Because... <laughs> Having read his 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 level his letter uh, to the prime minister, uh, it, having been sacked from his job as the chairman of the Conservative Party, there is no remorse. There is no reference to anything involving the word tax, and therefore one can only assume that he is indeed a paragon of virtue. Yeah, I I, I particularly liked uh, one Tory MP. I think he should remain unnamed for his own uh, sense of embarrassment. Where we, who who said this week that you know. Uh, an individual's tax affairs are uh, private, a matter of privacy, uh, should address no one else, which is a, an argument I'm going to use next time HMRC get in touch and say, <laughs> do you realise how much you owe us? And I'm going to say, oh, that's private. It's nothing to do with you, mate. So I, I, I'm sure they will understand that and go, we shouldn't have bothered you. We will leave you in peace forever. Right, everybody. And if you, and if you don't want to take that advice, remember Tuesday by midnight, Get your tax return in. Save yourself a hundred quid. Yes, I'll never have an issue getting. I'll never get fined for late tax returns, Kieran. That's not what I get in trouble for. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs> the price of football.
that provides some photo ball. 